We just want to be here with you, Jesus. And so we, the scattered church, the gathered church, we just say, your lap, Father God, is big enough for us to all crawl into, for us to say, we want to be with you. And we say there's room. And so we put on the eyes, Father, that see the world as an opportunity to invite them who don't know you yet to be with you. And so would you hear the cry of our hearts that just says, we just want to be with you and give us today, Father, access to your, your presence and your power. In your name, Jesus, amen. If you're here, you can have a seat wherever you are. And if you're out there in your living room, wherever you are, you can have a seat as well. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It means a lot that a few of you, uh, our staff team is seated in front of me and a few others that are just hearing me. So it's good to see you. But it also makes me really excited for seven days from now when we get to see more of you here in a, in a different way. Tonight, by the way, tailgate, I know Craig mentioned it, but we're really excited to spend some time with our Heartland body this evening as well. Well, uh, before we get too much further, I have a video I want to show you. It's a 12-second video, and I will be showing you this video not once, twice, maybe even three times, depending on how much, like, how good I want to feel, you know? I'm just going to let you know. It's a pretty self-centered video for me to show you, but that's coming. But first, happy Father's Day. Uh, I got to hang out with my dad a couple days ago, and I realized I didn't have any recent pictures of me and my dad. They're always my dad with our kids and the grandkids kind of take over the, the, the photos and my photo stream. And so I took a picture of me and my dad. Here it is. Now, uh, what you'll notice is, uh, is my dad's a really good looking guy. And so I've got good genes to grow into, you know, I can, I can get there and when the grays come in. But, uh, but he's got an, an epic, iconic mustache, okay? Now that, that mustache is like Thick, it's got some salt and pepper in it. It's, it's really, I've never known him without a mustache. Like even the teenage photos of my dad are him with a mustache, you know? I've never seen him without a mustache. And so uh, I, um, I asked my wife, you know, if I could like shave a mustache and, and give this sermon to you with a mustache. And she was like, people will not listen to you, honey. Like that's gonna be way too distracting. And so I Photoshopped, I had uh, Sarah and our team Photoshop my dad's mustache onto me and here's that picture. Yeah, I hope you're laughing at home. They're laughing here in the auditorium. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but the next one is one that will only appear once. And this is a photo of me with my wife and the, the mustache has been Photoshopped on. So Anna, wherever you are at home, I'm not coming home like that, but you get to see me for a split second with, uh, with a mustache on. Okay, we've had our giggles, and uh, happy Father's Day to you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, and, and here's the video. You ready for the video in the room? A few people ready for the video? So here's the scene. Uh, this is one year ago when we could gather for commencement services, when that was a thing. And, and I graduated from Wheaton College with a distance degree. Uh, it's a, a master's degree in church movements. It was just a really fun degree. I spent three or four years working on it. Uh, and, uh, and now we showed up, we made the trek, my family, Anna, my wife, and our two kids, Robbie, who's six, and Adeline, who's two. She was one at the time. And we made the trek north to, to Chicago and got to go to Edmond Chapel on campus there at Wheaton. And, uh, and what happened here is, uh, is the graduate ceremony, and we're all coming across. 
And my wife, bless her heart, she's got like both kids and Robbie's well-behaved, but Adeline is one and a long graduation ceremony is just like not the deal for her. Uh, and she's crying. And so Anna leaves the room to just listen for when the M's, the Matthews are gonna be read and she's gonna come back into the room when my name's being read. Uh, and she does, she hears the M's and she comes in and that's when this video, this 12 seconds of footage is captured by the folks at Whedon. Take a look. Shabu, Curry, and Matthew. Yeah, so you're, you're going to hear that, see that video again and hear it because in the back, a tiny voice at the very back of the room says, yay, daddy. And immediately the whole crowd just like melts. And if you look, when you're going to see this video again, and as you watch it, just pick a person in the crowd to watch. And instantly, whatever they are doing, just to kind of get through this long graduate ceremony, their eyes turn up and they all are captivated by this yay, daddy moment. Take a look one more time. Shabu, Curry, and Matthew. I have this moment where uh, Dr. Moreau is putting the hood on me and he just pats me on the back and says, that's cool. And then I walk over to Dr. Riken and I shake Dr. Riken's hand and he says, that was special. And I'm, I'm immediately just like caught off guard by the moment because that was unscripted, you know? And, and, uh, and I'm just like, that was special. Oh my goodness. Now here's, here's the deal. Today's Father's Day and I know and hope that every dad in the room gets a yay daddy today. I hope you get one of those like, yay, daddy moments because you work hard and you're not perfect. None of us are, but you're bringing your best to the parenting game today and you're awesome, dad. Now, Father's Day is, is hard for different reasons because some of us are missing dad and dad's not in our lives, some for the first time ever. And for, for some of us, Father's Day is perpetually difficult because dad hasn't been a part of your life for a long time. And that's, that's really difficult. Either because of choices dad made or something that happened that he's just absent from your life. Now, I, I was thinking about this moment and thinking about the times we live in, and here's just kind of my posture, if, if, if you will. I, I, I'm holding the scriptures like this, and I'm on my knees in prayer, and I'm looking at what's going on in the world over here, and I'm just trying to say, this, if I just do this, this is a Bible study. If I just do this, this is social commentary, but somehow... Jesus has taught us to have those things meet in the middle where this informs this and tells us how this experience can be lived best. And so right now, there's statistics that tell a story that suck. Sorry, kids in the room, if you heard the S word there. But 21% of white children in America live absent their biological father. And that number goes up to 31% of Hispanic children that right now live absent their biological father. And that number's painful, and then it's 58% for those in the African-American community. And the stats like that like create distress in me, and, 
and they can in you. And so today, I want to look to the scriptures to see what the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 might have to say about something that's distressing in his life and in our life. It could be anything. And I think it's important and it's not impossible to link the systemic racial injustice that our country is battling right now with this fatherlessness crisis. And so when something distresses me, this is the good book. This is where I go to figure out what God's heart is for that thing that's distressing me, whatever it is. And so Paul, I want to bring you up to speed because this is, we could spend four weeks on Acts 17 because it's loaded with incredible, beautiful moments. But this moment in particular is one of my favorites because by the end of today's message, I hope you'll hear why we exist as a church. Because Acts 17 reveals God's heart in in us for the world. Now here's the scene. Paul and his early pioneers have been traveling through spreading the gospel and they've been in Thessalonica and they've been chased out of Thessalonica. People didn't like what they had to say and they went to Berea and actually they were received warmly in Berea. So much so that the people in Thessalonica, the Jews in Thessalonica came down to like cause trouble for the Jews in Berea that were okay with this message of Jesus. And so they find themselves as fugitives on the run. And Paul is one of the leaders. And so they really want to protect Paul above all. And so they, they put Paul in an Uber and say, go south to Athens, like get out of here. And Paul finds himself in Athens, separated from the rest of his company, but now still on mission. And Athens is a city that is filled with people, filled with diverse people. It is a incredible place because as Paul walks around, he starts to notice this is a bustling metropolis with idols everywhere. And there, this is not like a, my, the idol, the God that I serve is at home, but this is on the public square. Everywhere he goes, he's seeing different idols. Now, it's that moment that I want to read to you in Acts chapter 17. You'll see this uh, on your screens as well. In verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so your distress, my distress, could be any number of things, but I want to tell you today, Paul's distress is that the fact is, the, is in this, that the city is full of idols. And he sees people placing their trust in a stone image of what they call God. And they're placing offerings before these images. And this is the thing that distresses Paul to the point where he cannot like function. Like he can't be normal Paul until he deals with what's distressing him. And so prayerfully, right? He's got the scriptures in one hand. He's got the world he's living in in the other. And he's just trying to to figure out how this matters to this. And God speaks to him. And God says, go and go to the synagogue. And as you go to the synagogue, this was Paul's custom. He would go to the synagogue first in any city. And he would share with them. These were like Jewish people who did not know about Jesus yet. And he would share the news about Jesus. Some received him, some didn't. And then he eventually leaves the synagogue and goes to the marketplace. And the marketplace in Athens is just that, an exchange of ideas. In verse 21, here's how the Athenians are described. All of them, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there in Athens, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. 
This is a place that loves philosophy. It's the home of Socrates and Plato. It's the, it's the future home of other philosophers. Athens represents the highest form of thinking and civilization. And Paul is here in an intense place, distressed. And now, out of his distress, he just begins to have conversations with people. In the everyday, on the regular, he's just talking to them in the synagogues, in the marketplace. And eventually, he earns the right to be heard. This is a a saying that my Young Life friends, which is a parachurch ministry in our country, in in the world, and in Young Life, they say, you earn the right to be heard by a teenager. You don't just like show up into a teenager's life and start talking about the good news of Jesus, but you spend time with that teenager, and eventually, they, they want to hear what's important to you. And so Paul has earned the right to be heard by the people of Athens and they invite him to a stage. Something like this except made of stone and it's called the Areopagus. And at the Areopagus is where a person is allowed to have a platform and present their ideas. And they're confused. They, they like call Paul a babbler and they say he's got these ideas about resurrection and a, a Christ figure Jesus. Uh, and we need to hear, we need to hear his official presentation. And so they invite him to the Areopagus. And this is the moment where Paul gets to talk and speak about Jesus. What happens, what ensues is like unbelievable. It's like one of the most amazing things. But before we get there, the Areopagus represents what I like to call kind of a third place. It's like you got home, that's your first place where you live, you spend most of your time, you sleep. And then you have work, perhaps a second place where the next big chunk of your 168 hours in a week goes which is to a place called work, whatever that is, working at home or working outside the home. And then there's these third places. And in our context, a third place could be a library, a coffee shop, a bar. A third place for Paul happened to be this social setting called the Areopagus and for the Athenians. And so I just wonder, just as a moment of pause, what's, what's the third place? And I get that COVID has kind of knocked out all our third places, but that doesn't mean they'll be gone forever. What's the third place that you could regularly be at and you could have relationships with people? I have a, a mentor who just has one Panera he goes to all the time. He knows the cash registers. He knows the manager. They know him. It's just his third place, right? Here's what happens at the Areopagus. Paul stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus, this is verse 22, and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. In his Searching in his looking around Athens, he's found one idol that says to an unknown God. And it's this moment that Paul just says, I, they, they have an opening. They have something here that they admit is a deity, but they don't yet know that deity. I, I have an opportunity to tell them about the deity that actually is the capital G God, the, the one that rules over all, the one from whom the foundations of the earth were laid. I get to tell them about that. And so Paul's, this is like, Paul is, is on vacation. I know he's distressed, but he's gotten through that. And now he's like in like his element with an audience that is totally pre-Christian. 
and doesn't follow Jesus yet, doesn't even know the story of Jesus yet, and he begins to say this. Now, what I'm about to read to you is, is like the mega sermon, verses 24 through 28. It's not going to be on the screens because I, I, it's poetic, and I want you to hear what Paul says here in verse 24 through 28 of Acts 17. He says on the stage of the Areopagus, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. There's not a more technical definition of father, is there? We are his offspring. That's what makes a child a child and a father a father. And Paul just says to them, this is the God who I worship that I want to tell you about. That you have space in your thinking for something that's unknown about God. Let me tell you, let me step into that space and tell you about this unknown God. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Don't miss what Paul does here in this moment. It's really, really incredible. He quotes their poets. One of them is Epimenides, who's the 6th century BC. And Epimenides, allegedly, is kind of a mythical poet creature in the Athenian lore. But he says, in him we live and move and have our being. Speaking of God. Speaking of Zeus... But Paul just affirms that like your poets believe in a God that we live and move and have our being in. And then he quotes Aretas from the third century BC who just says, we are his offspring. His offspring, meaning like a deity's offspring. You you already believe this. And here's what I want you to notice. Paul doesn't bash their poets. Paul like reads their poets and says, your poets affirm truth. And let me tell you what you already believe and let me reframe what you already believe in light of the God that created this world. It's, it's remarkable to see how Paul, well-learned, well-versed, is able to take centuries-old poets and make them relevant here at the Areopagus. Now, I, I wonder, like, who would Paul quote if he was in this world in 2020. You know, I think he maybe reaches back to Beowulf (laughs) or maybe Biggie Smalls or Burns, Robert that is. And he, he has reached back and pulled out God's truth from the world of art and somehow uses that to help folks see who they are in light of God's truth. That's incredible for me today. And that's why we exist as a church, becoming the church among the unchurched. We've always been about the unchurched and we're realizing that we want to be among them. And how do we do that? By making space to build relationships, to make Jesus first. This is what Paul does. He he isn't a tourist in Athens, all right? Paul is not a tourist in Athens, but he's made space in his day in Athens to make relationships with people in the synagogue and the marketplace to make Jesus first. 
And that's the challenge for you and I. How do we make Jesus first with our days? Verse 29, uh, and this is on the screens here. I want you to see this. He finishes, quotes their poets and says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Paul doesn't skirt around it. He doesn't like get fuzzy about the call here. The call is to follow God. Now that you know about God who created everything and he calls you to turn around from idols that are made of stone and silver and gold and turn towards him. And in fact, if we are his offspring, then we are made in his image. And so he cannot live in a temple. He cannot be molded by human hands, but rather we somehow look like God. And that's the invitation. Some here, and they're cool with hearing it and processing this new idea, because remember, they're Athenians and they love the latest idea. Some begin to sneer and throw rocks at Paul and, and say, this is not okay. Like, you're ridiculous. And some, Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and Damaris, a woman at the Areopagus that day, two of them, from what we know, follow Jesus. The gospel travels through relationships, from Jesus to 12 disciples and a crowd further than that, and, and then from Paul to the Athenians, namely Dionysius and Damaris, and, and from... In my life, Matthew Curry and my dad, whose picture you saw earlier, a, a youth pastor named Kelly Lovelace and a mentor named Glenn Kaler, the, the Matthews and the Kellys and the Glens, the gospel traveled through them to me. And, and right now at our church, we have 24 interns actually, and they are our leadership training project interns, LTP. And right now the gospel is traveling from their leaders to them and it will travel to someone else. And this is how the gospel travels along relational lines. That's, that's what we are as a church, is to be about the person who maybe wouldn't come to a church service, but would get to interact with, with us here. Or they might come to a church service, and when they do, we want to make God's truth accessible to them by quoting their poets, by telling them that you already have this truth in your life. Let us help you frame that in to see who God is. There's a moment where... Uh, um, Jesus calls God Father and he teaches his disciples. But this moment is not the bustling city of Athens. This is a quiet moment in a garden. And it's the quiet moment in the garden just hours before he's taken captive. And in this moment, Jesus just says in Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father. I want to read this to you off the screens here. Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, Jesus said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The disciples hearing this got to hear Abba and they knew that this was a name that you called a dad. It wasn't like daddy, like it's not like they didn't have that colloquial daddy thing in their language. We do now, but that's not what this is. But it, it is a form of respectful conversation with your parental, like with your father. And that's what Abba meant. Now for uh, for me, something happened when I watched that Wheaton video, and I've watched it many times. <laughs> and something happened early on after the fifth or sixth watching. I, I realized there was, a, there was a yay daddy happening, but it was not the yay daddy from Robbie to me, but it was the yay daddy from me 
to God. There was a a yay daddy for all the things that he had made possible in my life. There was this welling up of like, yeah, yay, yay, heavenly father, yay daddy. And so for you, I wonder if you are in a place like Paul where you're distressed by something in our world, or perhaps you're one of the Athenians who's, Idols have been pointed out, and we have idols, I have them. They are not stone and silver and wood idols, but they are idols of comfort. Where I just would rather stay at home and be cozy than enter a conversation. They are idols of, of, of perfection, where I need something to look like this when it's done, and anything less devalues my identity. That's an idol, friends. And so I, I don't know where you are if it's, Paul distressed by something, if it's an Athenian whose idol has been named today. But my encouragement to you is to, and my challenge is to enter the conversation like Paul did. To be able to to grab your Bible and be able to be on your knees in prayer and the situations of the world here and know how they intersect. And, And for some, it's it's a chance to say to God, yay, daddy. And maybe a way that you haven't before. I, I wrote a prayer. I want to read this to you. Uh, and it's a prayer for you if you today find yourself not being able to call dad in the past, but able to do that today. I want to read it to you and then I'll read it again a second time. And you can pray with me. I'll invite you to pray with me the second time. But here's, here's what the prayer says. It says, God, I haven't been able to call you dad for lots of reasons, and you know them all. I've been away from you, and I want to be home with you today. Your son, Jesus, made this possible. I confess I've got idols that have taken the place of you. Give me your spirit to live this new life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's your prayer today, would you just in your heart whisper that to God? Would you say it out loud if you, if you feel led to? But here's the prayer. Let's read it together. God, I haven't been able to call you dad for lots of reasons, and you know them all. I've been away from you, and I want to be home with you today. Your son Jesus made this possible. I confess I've got idols that have taken the place of you. Give me your spirit to live this new life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's something that that you interacted with today, that you prayed, we just want to celebrate with you and say that is awesome that God has now been specifically named as Father. That's important to us. It's like, through the roof important to him because one of his children has, has named him as dad. So we're excited to, um, to continue celebrating Father's Day with you uh, at the tailgate this evening and, and things like that. But more than anything, we just love that you took time to be with us and that you had that heart that was able to say, I wanna hear what God's word has to say today. And I want to wrestle with what it might mean for my life. Let me pray for us and then send us out to our day. Father God, that is who you are. Abba, we call you that. And we say thank you for being 
our Father, for calling us back into relationship with you. And so we, we want to, in the places we're distressed, in the places where we have an idol, we want to be those who enter the world thoughtfully and have a way to, to refer to you as Father in this season, perhaps for the first time. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week and tonight if you're at the tailgate.